Hello, my friends, and welcome to this week's New World Kirtan podcast. It's Tuesday, November 4th, 2014. I'm Kitsy Stern, and our show is produced as an act of love and service to the worldwide Kirtan community. It's also an audio journal of my spiritual journey through the practice of singing and playing Kirtan. Ian Basio of Blue Spirit Wheel now lives in Atlanta, but he grew up about 20 minutes from where I did in Philadelphia. I first met Ian about two years ago when he came through Corvallis planning Blue Spirit Wheel's first tour. We had coffee, and we've been friends ever since. Blue Spirit Wheel was the first kirtan band we brought to Corvallis, and our community welcomed them with open arms. Ian then came back last April to present his mantra yoga workshop. The concepts he taught us added depth and meaning to my bhakti yoga practice. I think the mantra yoga approach is fascinating, and I hope you do too. We're starting a series on the deities with this podcast. The first will be Ganesha, of course. Ian will talk about the characteristics of the deity, and then we'll have chants to that deity so you can stay in the energy. I'm really looking forward to sharing this with you and learning a lot myself. This Friday, we're hosting Kirtanwala Adam Bauer here in Corvallis. I'll tell you about that next week. And speaking of next week, Dance Dance Evolution continues to be the most downloaded track over on SoundCloud, so I think we may have to do another one. Don't forget to donate at the website, my friends. That's how we keep the lights on. Until next week, namaste. Well, today, I am really happy to welcome to the program Ian Basio from the Kirtan band Blue Spirit Wheel. And uh, Ian travels around the country and he gives mantra yoga intensives. And I did take his mantra yoga intensive. It, uh, it, 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 it teaches the basis of mantra yoga practice. And it really did change my focus on my mantra practice. And I'm really happy to welcome Ian Basio today. Hi, Ian. Hello, it's lovely to be here. So wonderful to talk with you again. Yeah, it's wonderful to talk with you too. I wasn't kidding. That that uh, that workshop really did change my focus and made my spiritual mantra practice much deeper and gave it a much deeper meaning. So I thought today it might be interesting to explain uh, to listeners a little bit about that and perhaps help them uh, deepen their relationship with deities and deity consciousness and um, maybe explain a little bit more about that. So here we are. Okay. Well, um, I think that this is a really fascinating subject and, uh, I agree with you. I think that this is, uh, an area which people in the Western yoga community, um, seem to be fairly ungrounded. I would say, um, there's a, there's a really hard time, uh, going on for people to get a sense for who these deities are, how one interacts with them in the context of a yoga practice and really just what it all means. You know, I mean, we, we come from a particular background, uh, here in America, this very Judeo Christian background. Um, and, and we, so we tend to think about divine reality from that perspective, but when you are entering into practices of this kind, uh, by which I mean any sort of yoga, then that relationship starts to become something very different. And uh, most people have no idea where to even begin with that. So uh, I think that this is a very useful topic to address. 
Yeah, uh, you know, I think people people come into this practice from all different perspectives. And when I came in, it was from basically really just, wow, this is a great way to meditate. And I didn't know anything about the deities, didn't really realize what mantras were and, and what what the, the, their purpose were. So can you address it from just something really basic? Like what what is a mantra? Mm. Okay, so... Uh... That's that's an an interesting question um, and one that's that's not super easy to answer. Uh, you know, not the least of which the problem being that mantra is one of the words from Sanskrit that has sort of entered into popular culture uh, in America, and people use that word for all kinds of of uh, purposes that really don't have anything to do with the original meaning or understanding of the word mantra. Hmm. So, so it's, it's good to try to cut through the confusion. Um, let me just preface this by saying that I teach uh, the yoga and meditation that I do from a particular lineage. And uh, by that, I mean a, a certain tradition that comes from India that sort of represents the core uh, philosophy um, that underlies the practice which I'm doing. And it's important to understand that um, India is a very, very diverse subcontinent, and um, there's a lot going on there, and people approach spirituality there from many different, uh, many different uh, per perspectives or paradigms. And um, so I'll, I'll say a lot of things that I think are really useful for Americans and people in the West um, that, that come from the lineage that, that I come from. Um, but just it's, it's worth understanding that, you know, you might talk to somebody else and find that they have a very different way of uh, interacting with these deities that comes from the, the certain Indian lineage that they come from. Right. Um, so, you know, it's one of the beautiful things about yoga, which is uh, that uh, they say there's a path of yoga for each person. And uh, there's any number of different ways to approach um, the great yogic work uh, in, in such a way that it actually works for you personally, mm -hmm. right? So there's no one true or right path uh, of yoga, there is the path of yoga that is true and right for you. And so you need to um, listen to and learn anything that comes your way, um, you know, about yoga and, and assess how each piece of knowledge that you obtain is going to uh, really uh, function within the practice that you are doing. And then the things that resonate for you, um, you know, on and, and you have to be honest about that, you know, the things that resonate for you. So so that doesn't mean the things that are easy. Right. But the things that resonate for you are the things that you should bring in to your practice and the things that don't resonate for you. You can just let them go and not worry about them because those are practices for other people to do. Hmm. Uh, and, and, and so it's really quite beautiful in that way. So what I'm going to be talking about today is uh, a way of looking at deities and mantra practice uh, from the point of view of what's called Shakta Tantra. So this is a philosophy um, that is based around the idea that 
uh, everything in the universe or everything in, in reality is a manifestation of uh, a being that we usually refer to as divine mother. And uh, so we see everything as being a, a goddess-centered reality. Uh, so, so right there, you can already see that, that maybe there are going to be other people who will think about it differently because some people think about it in terms of, uh, you know, everything is Shiva, right? Mm -hmm. or, or other people come at it thinking, you know, everything is Krishna. Mm. Right? But what I'm going to talk about is everything is Divine Mother and we'll work downwards from there. Uh, as we get into to sort of individual uh, existence. So uh, this this divine mother is the sum total of everything that exists now, everything that ever has existed and everything that will ever exist. She is in her entirety infinite and uh, she represents an infinite or universal energy field that encompasses everything that could possibly be experienced. So this energy field is, is uh, something that we call Shakti, and this is one of her primary names, one of Divine Mother's primary names is Shakti. Uh, so we, we can refer to Divine Mother as Shakti, and then we can also uh, talk about this energy by using that name Shakti. So everything that you can experience, including yourself, is composed of this energy, Shakti. So everything is energy, and everything is composed of the same kind of energy. So this, this Shakti energy is Divine Mother, and it is all the same. So it becomes a situation in which we exist in a way in which we think that there are differences between ourselves and, and other people or objects that we experience in the universe, um, but that's not really true. Everything is composed of this single field of energy that we call Shakti. Now, uh, uh, you can also think about this energy field as being a field of consciousness. And that is generally how, uh, how you want to sort of approach it. Uh, you know, Everything in the universe is experienced by your consciousness. You, uh, you, be, you become aware of things and you experience things through this medium of consciousness. And so the energy that everything is made up of is this consciousness, this conscious uh, uh, existence that we call Divine Mother. And uh, uh, so your consciousness exists within this field of infinite consciousness. And so we think about these two things. We think about infinite consciousness, which is Divine Mother, and we think about limited consciousness or finite consciousness, which is the individual uh, or, or the human soul, really. And, oh. uh, and, and so we seem to think that there's these two separate things, right? Yeah. But, it, but in fact, there is no separation because the, the limited consciousness or the finite consciousness exists within the infinite consciousness, right? So the, the infinite consciousness being infinite must contain everything. Huh. Uh, so you are a part of it. I'm a part of it. Everybody that's listening to this is a part of it. Everybody is a part of this infinite consciousness, whether they know it or not. Um, it's one of those things where you don't have to believe in it because the infinite consciousness believes in you and that's good enough, right? Um, 
So, uh, within the infinite consciousness, there are many, uh, there's in fact an infinite number of frequencies of vibration that are happening all the time. So this infinite uh, a universal energy field is constantly vibrating. It's, it's constantly in motion. And it's vibrating at, at an infinite number of different frequencies all the time. And these different vibrations will tend to come together and, uh, and interact with each other. The, the frequencies of vibration interact um, and, and they form what we think of as being energy patterns. Uh, so energy patterns represent a number of different energy uh, vibrations mixing together to create something that seems uh, like a like a, a, a phenomena that exists in the universe. So everything has an energy pattern. So I have an energy pattern. You have an energy pattern. Uh, the desk that I'm sitting at has an energy pattern. This house that I'm sitting in has an energy pattern. Uh, the computers that we're communicating with have an energy pattern. And, and our two individual com uh, computers are uh, connecting with each other by uh, sending out energy vibrations that then are intertwining with each other so that we can communicate. Right. And then, you know, the planet Earth has its energy pattern and the solar system has an energy pattern and and so on and so forth. So everything is vibrating these different frequencies of energy to form these patterns. And we're with our finite consciousness or our limited consciousness, we can perceive these energy patterns and recognize them as being different phenomena that are occurring in the universe. Now, uh, the thing that the thing that we have trouble with is that because our awareness is limited, we are we are only able to see these small energy patterns and we don't see the infinite energy field of which everything is a part. So when you have a limited consciousness, it's hard to experience infinite consciousness because the two are are by their very nature different things. Uh, so we tend to see these small energy patterns around us, which compose everything that we experience, and we think of them as being separate from ourselves. But in fact, the reality is that there is no separation in any way. Everything is a part of anything, right? So in any one thing that you experience in life, you can find all of the universe inside of it. There's a, there's a, um, uh, a classic metaphor for this they talk about um that reality or this uh this universal energy field is like the ocean and the ocean is this big vast thing very hard to really conceive just of how absolutely large it is but within the ocean itself on the surface of the water these waves appear and the wave is something that appears for a little while and it exists for a certain period of time and while it while it exists you can look at it and you can say i see that wave that wave seems to me to be separate from all of the other waves that i see around it it looks like its own thing but at a certain point the wave goes back underneath the ocean and disappears and you can no longer find it anymore uh, even if you were to dive down below the surface of the water itself, you still wouldn't be able to see it. It's merged back into the ocean itself. And it's really a situation like that. We are like those waves appearing on the surface of the ocean and then disappearing back into it, but always a part of it. So there's never really, there's never any point at which the wave is not part of the ocean. The wave is always part of the ocean.
Uh, it's just that sometimes the wave sort of forgets that it that it actually is part of this giant thing, and it thinks it's it thinks it's all by itself, like an island, you know. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, and that's where that's where confusion uh, sets in, and uh, you know that's where our lives start to to uh, get us in trouble. I think is is at the point at which we start to really buy into this idea that that we're separate uh, from from everything and everybody else, um, and, and and ultimately it's the purpose of yoga to uh, uh, teach us the fact that we are infinite in and of ourselves. So you have a consciousness that is infinite. Uh, you're, you're simply unable to perceive it at this point in time. But through dedicated yoga practice, uh, what we gain is what we call an expansion of consciousness, is a, a, a term that's, that's thrown around quite a bit, expanded consciousness. So your consciousness grows and grows and grows to encompass more of the universe into yourself until finally you're able to get all of it, right? And you merge into infinite consciousness and you, you know, your wave goes back below the ocean and you become the ocean, right? You're no longer just this tiny wave anymore. You're now the entire ocean itself all at once. You know, this is fascinating stuff to me. I, I, if that's the case, then would you say that a mantra is the bridge between the individual consciousness and the great consciousness? Well, it, it, it's, it is something very much like that. Um, what it is is that a, a mantra is a tool that we use um, in our limited state of consciousness to create energy vibrations uh, that will uh, cause transformation in some way. So uh, the mantra is a particular energy vibration that is designed to expand your consciousness in some way uh, and, and to make your limited consciousness larger and to bring you closer and closer to uh, to that infinite consciousness. So that happens in a number of different ways. So, so the, the energy vibrations of the Sanskrit language that's used in this mantra practice, this is sort of an objective uh, energy force that exists in the universe. And the human body is sort of this perfectly designed instrument uh, that is is created with the ability to use, to produce these energy vibrations and use them to expand consciousness, um, you know, potentially out to an infinite degree. And, um, you know, it's just one of those funny things where you just have to be in a position to actually learn that it exists, you know, learn that you have this capacity to do this. Um, there, there are a num you know, there are many different spiritual techniques that we use for expanding consciousness and mantra is just one of them. And the human body is designed to do many different spiritual practices that are capable of creating this consciousness expansion. But the way that the mantra, uh, can function, there are a couple of different ways that it can function. So, um, it can literally just uh, create a strengthening in the vibration of your own energy pattern uh, through purely through your own uh, force of effort, right? So there are there are different uh, uh, mantra vibrations that you can uh, practice that 
will strengthen uh, the vibration in the chakras in your energy body. And as you strengthen those chakras, it's it becomes, uh, you know, your 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 consciousness is able to grow at that point. But it requires, uh, you know, it, it it requires a lot of energy to do that. It requires a lot of energy to increase uh, the vibrations of your of your consciousness. And to do that alone uh, and entirely by ourselves is is quite difficult. You move forward at a very, very slow pace. Uh, when you're relying on nothing except your own uh, limited consciousness abilities uh, to do spiritual practice. So this is where uh, these deities come in. And from the point of view of the practice that I'm talking about, the deities are these kind of cosmic beings that we interact with in a kind of partnership in order to facilitate our consciousness expansion. And the reason why we do that, because like I said, Sanskrit and mantra practice, this is an objective force. You could do it all by yourself, right? So you don't need to have a deity to move you forward. Uh, But if you do have a partnership with one of these deities, it's like putting a turbocharger on your spiritual practice. You know, you gain access to energy on a cosmic scale that will move you forward and you know in this process of consciousness expansion uh you know exponentially faster than you could possibly do on your own at this moment and so this is why uh in mantra practice and in many other yoga practices we want to uh, uh develop relationships with these deities um, and and get them to start helping us and teaching us as we go forward because it's it's just uh, so very effective. You know, one of the things I think is really cool about yoga practice is that there's a there's a strong emphasis on economy in it. Um, in in yoga, it's like we always want to be doing the best possible practice that we can be doing so that whatever time you take out in order to to do your yoga practice and focus on consciousness expansion um, is going to be as effective as it possibly can be. You're going to get the most out of that time. So from the point of view of doing a mantra practice, you know, in order to get the most effective practice going, uh, the best way to do that is to interface uh, with these deities. Uh, so that you can really kind of access this level of energy that's beyond anything that you're normally experiencing at this time. Now, would would you say that it, it in in order to experience this, do you need to focus on one particular deity for a particular amount of time, or would it be um, just singing singing mantra or kirtan in general, or um, how does that work? Okay. Um, so just as an aside, I, I like to use this word deity because it refers to gods and goddesses simultaneously. Um, it's a useful word. And then, you know, uh, it's a it's kind of a word that sidesteps a lot of, um, uh, you know, bad subconscious feelings we might have about the word God. Um, so important to understand that in, in when we talk about deities, we're talking about um, cosmic beings that that will manifest as either masculine or feminine, uh, but will but will bring the, both of those under this t- 
title of, of deities. Um, I would say that, um, first of all, the thing to understand about uh, a mantra is that the energy vibration that's created by a mantra is in and of itself um, not that powerful. So saying a mantra one time is probably not going to do a lot. Um, so, so we need to repeat the mantra many times in order to really kind of build up the vibration so that it will actually start to shift things in some way. So that's why we repeat mantras over and over and over again. Uh, it, it, it needs to be, that energy needs to be reinforced in order to create a permanent change um, in, in your state of consciousness. So, uh, so in that sense, if you're working with a particular mantra, you really need to do it a lot mm. in order for something to happen. Um, now, as far as whether or not you're going to, to work only with one deity uh, or if you'll work with, with multiple deities, again, this sort of really depends on what your spiritual path is, is sort of dictating to you, you know, what really resonates for you. So uh, I think when you get into bhakti yoga practices, um, there tends to be an emphasis on uh, people become devotees of a particular uh, uh, cosmic energy in the form of a certain deity, right? So you become a devotee of Krishna, or you become a devotee of uh, Shiva, or you become a devotee of one of the manifestations of Divine Mother, right? And I think in that in that practice, that is sort of um, the most effective way to do it, because you sort of surrender everything in your life, and you perform all of your actions as a way of opening yourself up and uh, and, and creating this connection through your heart and through your emotions to this particular deity. Mm-hmm. Um, the practice that that I'm involved in is a little bit different than that in the sense that um, in mantra yoga, we tend to think of things, I would say, from more of a shamanic uh, perspective. So when, you know, sort of the, the shamanic paradigm really says that... Um, it's not necessarily a relationship uh, of, of God and worshiper, right? So the, the shaman uh, or, or, the, or the mantra yogi sees the, um, sees the deities and, and various other spirits that one might contact uh, as being equals. And we enter into partnerships with these deities for the purpose of achieving, uh, you know, an, an infinite consciousness expansion. And I think that, uh, you know, the important thing to understand here is remember that everything in the universe is a single infinite energy field. So therefore, if you're part of that in- infinite energy field and the deities are also part of that in- infinite energy field, you're all part of the same thing. So, in fact, if you're if you're existing in this state of limited consciousness, uh, you can think of these deities as actually being higher or greater forms of your own consciousness. 
right? Hmm. So in fact, what you're doing is you're contacting a higher part of yourself. And in that, so in that sense, if you're thinking about it that way, then it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to uh, stick to just one. Although you can do that if you, uh, if, if you feel moved to do so, but you're not limited to that. And I've, you know, in my own practice, I've found it to be uh, very useful to spend periods of time where I'm doing a particular uh, a piece of consciousness work that, you know, in which I enter into a partnership with a particular deity to do that work. And then, you know, when I feel that that piece of the work is completed, then, you know, I may uh, work with a different deity in order to do the next piece of work. Right? Hmm. So each one of the deities is like a teacher. It's your own higher uh, consciousness is is imparting some knowledge and some experience to you so that you can move forward. And just like teachers uh, in in life, you know, you may not have just one. But but to get back to the idea of the, of the deities, it's important to understand that as I was saying at the beginning, you have a particular energy pattern. Each person has a certain energy pattern uh, that represents the way that different uh, energy vibrations are interacting to form your uh, particular limited consciousness. The deities each have their own uh, energy pattern as well, just like you do. Uh, the difference is that the deity's energy pattern is cosmic in scale. So where we appear to, uh, you know, the energy patterns that form our limited consciousness appears to um, be fairly uh, localized in time and space, um, such that we perceive ourselves as being contained within this physical body and existing in a certain place, uh, you know, on the earth. Um, and and existing in a certain time, right? Such that you could say that, well, this particular uh, version of myself came into being uh, when I was born on a certain day in a certain year, and um, you know, so I've been around for this many uh, uh, revolutions of the planet Earth around the sun, um, and I'll be around for however many more. Um, you know, my karma says that I'm going to be. Um, but the, so so that's what our experience of ourselves is the date. But the deities exist. They 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 exist in a state where their energy pattern extends across the entire universe uh, simultaneously and and is not limited to a linear uh, uh, a linear experience of time. So that's the reason why, uh, you know, the deities are never too busy to help you. Right. Um, the, the deities don't are not limited in, in their ability to uh, function within uh, within the universe. So um, they can be fully present for every person who wants to work with them at any time, um, uh, which I think is, is a, a pretty amazingly wonderful. Yeah. Uh, so so, I mean, if you wanted to work with a deity. Mm-hmm. And um, say you wanted to to do some work with with Lakshmi uh, around okay. abundance or or Hanuman around prana. And I um, I was working after your workshop. I was working with Hanuman a lot um, for prana and and found it interesting. Um, but how would you do that? I mean, would you like 
would you concentrate on that deity for a certain period of time or? Absolutely. Ah. Yeah. And, and, you know, so mantra yoga practice can, consists of two steps. Step one, choose a mantra. Step two, repeat the mantra. <laughs> That's the entire practice, hmm. uh, essentially. So it's great in that sense because it's really easy to actually do. Um, uh, although that may be a little bit deceptive, right? You know, I mean, continuing to repeat the mantra may become harder and harder and harder yeah. uh, o- over time. But uh, really, it becomes a question of what is it that uh, what is it that you want, really, um, and and what is it that you uh, see as being an opportunity for you to grow. So uh, you know, uh, it, it, certainly in in one of the uh, in one of the uh, the future interviews that we'll do, we'll spend some time. I guess talking about uh, Lakshmi and uh, and other abundance goddesses, um, you know, there's a particular kind of cosmic energy there. So so this energy of of Lakshmi, this cosmic energy vibration that extends across the universe, its purpose is to create this sort of archetypal uh, uh, cosmic process that that we see as being. Uh, uh, life's uh, ability to grow and multiply and be fruitful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that extends through all aspects of the universe, whether it be, um, you know, our own obvious uh, ability to to uh, to grow and, and be fruitful in the sense of having children, but but into anything that you can think of as being. Uh, an aspect, uh, metaphorically, of being prosperous uh, or or being abundant. So, um, you know, you can think of that cosmic force or that archetypal force represented as uh, as Lakshmi as entering into almost any aspect of your life, um, and and representing a force that will um, bring about or amplify the qualities of abundance in that area of your life. So through the spiritual practice, um, in this case, through the repetition of the mantra, what happens is the mantra is designed to create an energy vibration that then changes your personal energy pattern, the energy pattern of your limited consciousness. The mantra, the vibrations of the mantra actually affect the vibrations of your own energy pattern and changes the frequencies at which you are vibrating. And the each individual mantra changes those energy vibrations of your energy pattern in a particular way. And the the, the mantras that are connected to deities what they do is they change your your energy pattern so that you begin to vibrate at a frequency that is in tune or in a sympathetic resonance with the energy vibration of the deity, right? So you can think of it as being like a matter of, uh, you know, in musical terms, you could think of it as being uh, a question of octaves of vibration, right? So uh, maybe the... the uh, the deity is is vibrating at uh, a very deep octave where uh, 
the vibration, uh, each wave of the vibration is really gigantic, you know, really cosmic in scale. So what you do when you practice the mantra is you change your energy vibration so that you g come into, uh, you, you tune your own energy vibration to uh, some octave of the deity's vibration. And so if you're able to tune yourself to the energy of the deity, then um, uh, what happens is you become sort of a conduit for that deity's archetypal or cosmic energies. Some of that cosmic energy of that deity is able to move through your energy pattern and to create change in some way. Um, the most significant change being that it changes your state of consciousness, ultimately, in which you are able to expand in some way. But one of the amazing things about mantras is that, um, you know, while all mantras are designed to uh, expand your consciousness, uh, they actually have all of the side effects that uh, affect other aspects of your life as you go along. And it's like, you know, you sort of wish that that these were the kind of side effects that that you had it in, in pharmaceuticals, right? Because uh, it's like all the side effects are like these amazing things that happen in your life as you practice the mantra and your consciousness expands. So if you're practicing these Lakshmi mantras, then all of the side effects are uh, changes in your material existence that cause you to be more abundant and prosperous. Um, so, you know, if you don't have a job, the mantra will arrange things uh, in the universe around you so that you can get a job. Um, you know, and, and, and other things of that nature that relate to this Lakshmi energy of, uh, of prosperity. Uh, and it, tu it tunes you because you're tuned to that energy of abundance, but does it, it so it makes you more attractive to abundance it, because you are changing your own internal perception of abundance. And so you, you look around, at least this has been my perception, is that you look around and you realize that just where you are, um, standing where you are, the fact that you're alive, the fact, I mean, life is abundant just from that, you know, and, and that's how um, I perceive that cha chanting to Lakshmi changed my idea of abundance in that I realize I have everything I need. Uh, and, absolutely. Yeah. And then when you get that internally, then all of a sudden everything is, everything is abundance. Mm-hmm. Yes, your consciousness has been altered. Yes. You, you perceive reality in a different way and in an expanded fashion. Yeah, that's, that's funny. And, and I have a lot of students who often come to me with these sort of Lakshmi-based concerns, you know, because uh, uh, dealing with our material lives is, is a big problem a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I would say more often than not, uh, people have the same experience that you did, which is they'll go forth onto a, a sadhana of practicing uh, these Lakshmi mantras for the purpose of, of expanding their ability to be prosperous and abundant and, and therefore to get everything that they need in order to move forward uh, with their life and, and to move into a, a more spiritual existence. And uh, what they find out through the, the course of, of doing the practice is that uh, they already had everything that they needed and, uh, and, and they just weren't looking at it the right way, mm. um, ultimately. And, and this is, 
this is a very powerful practice. I often say that with Lakshmi, uh, her her greatest gift that she gives to people is contentment. Exactly, because what happens is that one of the wonderful side effects, as you were talking about, of, of mm-hmm. chanting a mantra for abundance is that the side effect is that you, you, are, you find contentment. That's right. And happiness. And um, I don't know what it is about mantra. Uh, I, I don't know why they work. They, I just know my, my life works a lot better when I'm, when I'm chanting. And I think it's because of the side effects that you're yeah. talking. It's just. Well, it, 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 in a way, it's like, you know, you can think of um, if, if your life is based around this idea of progressing from a state of limited consciousness to a state of infinite consciousness, um, all mantras do that. Right. So in effect, uh, it doesn't really matter which mantra you choose uh, to practice. It's each mantra has its own particular way of expanding your conscious consciousness. So really, when you're trying to make a decision about which mantra you want to practice, it's almost like you want to you want to look at the side effects and decide which uh, which uh, particular mantra side effects are going to be most useful for you mm. uh, at the time to- at this particular time. Um, you know, based on uh, what you see the purpose of your life as being, um, what the what the particular obstacles are or um, uh, or, or difficulties that you have to overcome. Um, you know, it's the side effects of the mantra that will that will rearrange the energy of those things um, and make everything work for you in a really effective fashion. So oddly enough, um, you know, yeah, you, you could do you could do any mantra for the purpose of achieving this liberated infinite state, um, you know, the exact choice of the mantra and the exact choice of the deity that you'll work with um, more depends on sort of the the little details of your life, um, you know, and, and, you know, that's that's one of the cool things about the deities is that is that no detail is too small for them to take notice of. And I think it's I think it's important maybe now for me to bring up this this really important point when you're talking about the deities, which is that, uh, you know, in talking about it the way that I am, I'm using certain words, energy, vibration, frequency, tuning, um, octaves, and all of these other things that are very abstract. But it's it's important to understand that the deities, while they are composed of energy, as is everything else, um, it's not the deity is not like an inanimate energy, um, like electricity. You know, it's not like you just, you know, practicing a mantra is not about uh, it's not like flipping on a light switch, you know, and the light comes on and then you turn it off and the light goes off. Right. What we're talking about here is energies of consciousness and the deities as these com- as these cosmic energy vibrations are are aspects of consciousness that are sentient and aware and have their own sort of personalities in a way um, that you that that your own personality interacts with and and that may have a lot to do with the reasons why you choose to work with a particular deity as well you know because there may be certain deities whose personality you get along with better um, and, and, uh, and, and is going to be more useful or more conducive of growth for you. Now, you know, keeping in mind again, the thing that like the, what's best for you is not always what's easy. Um, you know, so that's something that you have to be really, uh, conscious of and, and honest with yourself about. 
as human beings, we are uh, really, really good at, at many things. Um, we're very talented um, and we're pretty smart, generally speaking, and we can do a lot of stuff really well. But one of the things that we do better than almost anything else that we do is we're really, really, really good at hiding things from ourselves. <laughs> so, and, and I mean, we're masters of this, of this skill. And so whenever there's stuff going on in our lives that's traumatic or difficult, uh, uh, you know, just so painful or, or, or difficult to deal with that, that your limited consciousness just can't encompass it. What we do is we take those things and we, we take the pain and the trauma and we put it inside an imaginary box and we close the imaginary lid on the box and then we lock it with a, an imaginary lock and then we hide the box somewhere deep down inside of our energy body, inside the energy pattern itself. And, and then we forget that it's there. We pretend it doesn't exist anymore. But the problem with that is that the box is imaginary and so is the lock and the lid, right? These are all things that we made up. They don't really exist. We've just chosen to decide that they do. And uh, the, so, so whatever that pain is, whatever that suffering is that you're experiencing, you're still experiencing it but you just don't know that it's there. You don't know what the cause is or, or, or what the reason is. And so that's why we sort of experience all this stuff in our lives, these sort of repeating destructive patterns that we go through um, and, and uh, negative emotions that we can't uh, control, uh, anger and jealousy and, and other things of, these na of that nature that, you know, we always uh, so often find ourselves just acting in, irrational ways that, you know, you look back on it and you're just like, what was going on with me there? And th these are these sort of negative uh, energy patterns. They're sometimes called samskaras that, that are hidden away and we can't see them. And they, they might not even be traumas that, that you experienced in this lifetime, right? They might be, there might be some piece of, of uh, heavy karma that you're bringing in from a previous lifetime. So it becomes even more difficult to really understand what it is and why it's affecting you the way that it is. But uh, the key thing about that is that you can hide those things from yourself. Uh, and you're very good at doing that. But you can't hide anything from the deities. They see everything that's going on with you. So when you connect to the deity, the deity is seeing every piece of karma that you have going on in this lifetime and how it's affecting you and what things you're aware of and what things you're not aware of. And so, th so the deity is then able to put into motion, um, ver of, you know, any number of energy shifts that will begin to work on, uh, all of this stuff that you're hiding from yourself. And, and that's one of the reasons why, uh, um, so often uh, when you enter into a particular spiritual practice thinking you know what the result is going to be, um, something entirely different happens. <laughs> uh, but that thing, that different thing that happens ends up being really what you needed 
um, and, and what you thought you needed, you know, what you thought the problem was or the reasons why you thought your life was not going the way that you wanted it to, you know, you were totally clueless about it. Um, and it's because the deity's, the deity's consciousness is able to perceive the things that you cannot. And, uh, and so they're able to actually start to work on that stuff. You know, it, and, and it's really is incredibly important because these negative energy patterns, these samskaras that we're hiding within ourselves, this is, this is toxic energy. It's, it's poisonous. And uh, it's one of the reasons why people get sick um, or, or why when they're injured, um, they're unable to heal themselves. Um, so this is, this is not, you know, these are, these are not good things. We want to, you know, we want to open up the boxes and go inside and take a look at what's there and, and, and start to work on it, you know, and, and that's not necessarily a pleasant experience. Um, but it is growth, you know, and it's, 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 those are the growing pains of your consciousness is, is the release of these difficult or traumatic um, experiences that you're having. I, uh, you know, if you've been doing this for a while, uh, I imagine uh, this is the way it happened with me anyway, you have mantras kind of running most mm -hmm. of the time in the yeah. background. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm curious, are they as effective as chanting out loud? And, and, and what if you went to a place where everybody like, like a festival and thousands mm -hmm. of people were chanting the same mantra? I mean, is, is there any, this, this, is, a great, this is a great subject. Um, <laughs> Yeah, this it's a great question. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, getting to a place where the mantra is just sort of repeating itself all the time is uh, is a very good thing. I, as I always say, there's no substitute for commitment um, in spiritual practice. Uh, commitment is an energy in and of itself um, that uh, supercharges your practice as well. So uh, that's why in practice, we tend to make commitments about what we're going to do. So you sit down and say, you know, I'm going to practice this mantra and I'm not going to think about anything else or do anything else for the next hour. Right. Um, that that commitment uh, creates a situation in which you can much more effectively uh, uh, absorb and 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 make use of the transformational energy of the mantra. So uh, while I think it's great to have the mantra kind of running in the back of your mind, um, there's really no substitute for actually deciding to do the practice to the exclusion of everything else. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that we're looking for in our yoga practice is the, is the ability to um, step into a place of, of one-pointed focus. Um, you know, so in the case of the mantra practice, it's focusing on the repetition of the mantra and nothing else. Um, when you do that, when you're able to focus on a single point, uh, then the vibration that's created is much, much greater. Um, so any amount of time that you can dedicate to doing the practice and nothing but the practice is uh, going to be time well spent um, in, in terms of your, uh, your growth, ultimately, um, um, as, as, a, as a, a being of consciousness. Um, the, the idea of chanting out loud, uh, chanting in groups, uh, um, and other things of that nature, um, there's, there's two really important things to understand about that. Um, the first is that if you're doing a mantra practice, uh, which is to say a solitary meditation, uh, 
Um, most likely, the, the, or really the most powerful way to do that is to be able to chant the mantra silently, which is to say that you are hearing the mantra being chanted in your mind as clearly as if you were saying it out loud. So, so repeating the mantra in your mind as, and hearing it as clearly as if you were saying it out loud. This is not an easy thing to do. But if you can do that, then then the vibration that's created is is very powerful. Um, it's a it's a type of of uh, of uh, mantra technique that's called manasika japa, means repeating the mantra inside your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we strive for. I mean, of course, anytime you're beginning with a particular mantra, you have to start by chanting it out loud because you don't know what it sounds like yet. Right. So you have to say it first and say it enough times until you know what it sounds like. And then you can progressively bring it further and further inside. And the, the reason why that's more powerful is because the uh, the the energy vibrations of the mantra need to be um, accessing and making changes uh, inside your energy body, which is to say the chakras and the nadis and 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 other structures in your energy body, which are not physical. So, uh, you know, they exist on a, a different level of reality than your physical body. So the actual uh, mechanism of sound vibration that you create physically um, is really just kind of a, it's almost like a, it's like a gross manifestation or or a symptom in a way uh, of the actual vibration that you're creating, which is a subtle vibration. Um, the the what's actually happening through that whole process is on a subtle level you are creating these vibrations that are going out and affecting your own energy pattern and the energy patterns of of uh situations around you um and that's all happening on a level that's beyond the physical so if you can exist in your meditation on that level then the the vibration is going to be more powerful the physical mechanism is actually getting in your way um, and and reducing the effectiveness of the vibration. Oh, so if interesting. It, if you can do it on that level, which is to say silently hearing the vibration in your mind, which means that you're that you're vibrating the energy uh, in the subtle realm, then it will it will be more powerful. Um, now that said, there is a reason why we chant things out loud, um, and. Uh, 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 and has more, you know, to do with more than just learning what the sound of the mantra is, although that's important. So there's a different situation, which is not your solitary meditation at home. This is when you get together in a group of people to chant mantras together. Um, now, this is a very, very powerful process uh, that you can become involved in. Um, and, and what happens in that case is if you have a group of people uh, chanting mantras together and... Uh, uh, they're all, everybody in the group is synchronized in terms of you're chanting, predominantly that you're chanting the, the mantra in the same rhythm together. Um, then what happens is, you know, like so many things in human existence, you know, if we actually cooperate and collaborate with each other, um, we're really good at that too. And, uh, and, and uh, when you cooperate with other people, it always ends up being more than the sum of its parts, right? And, and never more so than in this process of, of chanting mantras. So if you get together in a group of people and you chant together, 
and and you're synchronizing your energy by being in the same rhythm with the mantra, then what happens is you gain not only uh, the energetic benefit of your own practice, but you gain the benefit of everybody else's practice in the group as well. Wow. Um, you know, you create this kind of gestalt consciousness amongst yourselves where everybody benefits from everybody else's practice. So, you know, if you're if you're there chanting by yourself, then, you know, you get the effect of one practice. If you get into a group and chant with 10 people, you know, yourself and nine other people, then you re the the energy vibration is 10 times as powerful. Right. So that's why people like to get together and do this, right? Mm. So if you get together in a group of 300 people, everybody chanting the mantra and, you know, with the with the rhythm synchronized, then, you know, you're you're creating a tremendous vibration. Um, and so this is, you know, one of the main uh, theories underlying uh, the idea of a kirtan um, uh, where you go and, and there's somebody who's leading everybody in chanting. But... Uh, what the person who's leading is doing is not really that big of a deal. Um, the big deal is that you're chanting with however many other people happen to be in the room. And, uh, and, and you're all doing it together and, and you're all sort of participating together in this group spiritual practice for everybody's benefit. Um, and it's just a really wonderful, blissful experience to be involved in, generally speaking. So, so in that sense... Uh, chanting out loud can be much more powerful uh, if you can get a group of people together to do it, you know. So it's kind of, you know, generally what it's going to be is is you'll have your your solitary practice, which you'll uh, do silently if you can. Um, and, and then, you know, and you, you know, hopefully you do that every day, you know, and that becomes sort of a daily practice that is a regular part of your your routine in your day, you know, you Take an hour out to expand your consciousness every day. You know, it's it's good for what ails you. Mm, uh, mm, I'd agree and, with that. And uh, and then and then at these special occasions, you'll get together with groups of people and get, you know, get a tremendous uh, a change happening in a single in a single day. Um, and, and I think that that's the way it looks for most for most people. You know, this is such a fascinating area and we mm. we haven't touched on. So many things like um, interesting things like Sanskrit as an energetic language, but right. other stuff. But we're going to be doing more of these because we're going to be talking about specific uh, specific deity energies. And then, well, the way it's going to go is that we'll do a couple of things on a specific deity and then I'll play chants yeah. uh, for that so that you can kind of bathe in that energy for a while. Um, and that's, that's what's coming up. Uh, that's what's coming up. But um, I have learned so much today. And I really look forward to learning more from you as the series progresses. And I just want to thank you for your time. Thanks so much for being on. It's always great to talk to you. Absolutely, Kitsy. I, I have I have so much fun with you all the time. And, uh, and I'm really looking forward to doing this series. Um, you know, one of the really cool things about this is that you know, each of the deities has their own way of of being and interacting with the universe. And it really is just so fascinating to delve into each one of those different uh, realities, you know. And, and so, you know, I really feel like each week that we do this um, is going to be totally different uh, yeah. from any of the others because the energy will have so much 
personality and and sort of quirkiness to it, um, <laughs> each each deity in their own way. So uh, really looking forward to exploring that with you.